You know, we've just uh, sang that song, Speak, Lord. Why don't you just bow your heads for just a moment and uh, ask the Lord, if you're open, ask the Lord to say, speak truth to me in these next few moments. Jesus, we're, we're open. So, in these next few moments, as we look into your word and we hear a message, um, would you speak very clearly to us about where we're at in our spiritual walk with you? In your name I pray, amen. Back in July, I started a series called Captivated, Worship Jesus, Be Like Jesus, and it really came out of an experience that I had at a camp meeting where I felt like God gave me a course correction. And ever since that course correction, I've just been talking every week about what it means to be captivated with Jesus. So the word captivated means to be beguiled, to be enthralled with. Nobody uses the word beguiled anymore or enthralled, but they're great words because they talk about an intentional focus on something or someone. So let me just ask, are you beguiled by Jesus? Are you really enthralled with Jesus? Every week I've been looking at different people and how Jesus interacted with them, what Jesus said, what Jesus did, what people said about Jesus, what people did about Jesus. And over these last nine weeks, I've really focused on specific people that Jesus had encounters with and how Jesus spoke to them about specific situations in their life. This morning I want to speak to you about what it means to be born again. What does it mean to be born again? What am I supposed to feel? What am I supposed to think? Is it an emotional experience? What is God's part? What is my part? Do I have a part? What takes place on the inside of a person who's born again? Turn in your Bibles to John chapter 3. We'll be looking at verses 1 through 16. If I get really excited, I may read verse 17. Would you stand, please? John chapter 3, verse 1. There was a man named Nicodemus a Jewish religious leader who was a Pharisee. After dark one evening, he came to speak with Jesus. Rabbi, he said, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Notice how Nicodemus begins with pleasantries. You know, if you had somebody over your house You just wouldn't dive right in. You'd like, hey, how was your day? You'd start with the pleasantries. Notice how Jesus just hijacks the conversation. In order to enter the kingdom of God, you must be born again. Okay. What do you mean, exclaimed Nicodemus? How can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? Jesus replied, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the Spirit. Humans can, can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say that you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it wants, just as you can hear the wind, but you can't tell where it comes from or where it is going, so you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. How are these things possible? Nicodemus asked. Jesus replied, Now you are a respected Jewish teacher, and you don't understand these things? I assure you, we tell you what we know and have seen, and yet you won't believe our testimony. 
But if you don't believe me when I tell you about earthly things, how can you possibly believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ever gone to to heaven in return, but the Son of Man has come down from heaven. And as Moses lifted up the bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God sent his Son into the world not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. Would you bow your heads? Jesus, just a few moments ago, we asked you to speak to us because we're open. And so would you please, these next few moments. Amen. You may be seated. I had three experiences that I want to share with you in regard to this idea of being born again or born from above. That's actually what the literal Greek translation is. When we use the word born again, it's actually Jesus is saying born from above. Sometimes we call being saved or born again our salvation experience. Sometimes we call it the second birth. I'm not really too concerned about what we call it. I'm more concerned about do we understand it. Three experiences. When I was about five years old, I remember being at the kitchen table, probably having lunch with my mom, and my mom starting to talk to me about how God loves me and Jesus died on the cross for our sins and that if I want to go to heaven when I die, I need to ask Jesus into my life and he'll forgive me of all my sins and he'll walk with me the rest of my life, and when I die, I'll go to heaven. And then she said to me, would you like to pray a prayer of salvation asking Jesus into your life? And in my five years of vast sinfulness, I said, sure, because who says no to their mom? I mean, and who wants to say no to Jesus? So... I remember kneeling down on one of the four chairs. My mom was on one side, I was on the other side. And we just knelt down, and she led me through a prayer asking Jesus into my life, and I prayed that prayer. And I got up from the table and went outside to play. I didn't really feel anything I didn't feel any huge weight being lifted. I, I, I'm not, I don't really remember thinking that I was feeling anything. It just happened. Fast forward, I'm 12 years old, and I was at a church camp, and it was a youth, a youth camp, <clears throat> and the preacher was preaching away, and I remember actually sitting in the back, right over there, and I felt this stirring in my heart for the first time ever, this stirring in my heart, and I heard a voice say to me, you know about me, but you don't know me. And that started an internal dialogue with me and this voice, And at the end of the service, back in those days, the preacher would have an altar call and people would come to the altar, just like we have. You'd kneel at the altar and people would surround you and they would pray for you and you would ask Jesus into your life and and it was a very beautiful community event. And when he gave that invitation, I remember thinking, I know I should go down to the altar but I'm not exactly sure why, and I'm not sure what's going to happen when I get there, and I don't want to draw any attention to myself. It feels weird. But I also remember this compelling sense of, you should just go. And so I did. And sure enough, people gathered around me, they prayed over me, 
and I asked Jesus into my life, and that time when I got up, I felt different. I felt better. I felt clean on the inside. I just felt like something had changed, and there was this newness in my life. Third experience. Actually, the third experience is a cluster of many experiences. Because from that moment on until I was, you know, 18, 19, whatever, I must have given my life to Jesus like 20 times. Right? Every time there was a service and somebody talked about being saved or being born again or asking Jesus into your life, I was like, I, I probably should go to the altar. Maybe I'm not even saved. And here's why. Because I remember thinking, well, you know, I, I hate my sister this week. I must not be saved. Or I, I've been thinking some impure thoughts. Christians shouldn't think in pure thoughts. Maybe I'm not even saved. Or I said a bad word. I, Christians shouldn't say bad words. I'm probably not even saved. And so I go to the altar and get saved all over again. What I discovered was developmentally now is that I was actually trying to, what the Bible calls, work out my salvation. Not work for it, but just work it out. Trying to figure out what God was doing in my life. If there was ever a man in the Bible who was trying to figure out what God was doing in his life, his name was Nicodemus. We know three things about Nicodemus. He had the background, he had the bucks, and he had the brains. Background. Back in ancient Jewish days, the most important thing about you was your heritage. That's why Jewish people, even to this day, Jewish people spend a lot of time and energy and resources in trying to figure out their lineage. And everybody wants to be able to trace their lineage back to Abraham. Because Abraham was called out of the land of Ur into the promised land, and all the descendants of Abraham, Jewish, are the chosen people. In some ways, it didn't matter how you lived. It mattered that you were a child of Abraham. Nicodemus and his family, they were 100% certified organic Jews. He had the background. He also had the bucks. Church history tells us that Nicodemus and his family system were part of the old money in Jerusalem. You know what old money is? The old families, the established families, the families that had been around forever, the families that had old money. And if you wanted to have a dinner party in Jerusalem, what did you do? You made sure that Nicodemus and his family system, his mom, his dad, you know, the aunts, the uncles, the brothers, the sisters, everybody showed up at the dinner party from Nicodemus's family because, you know, they were great. And they had the bucks and the influence. In fact, some Bible scholars believe that Nicodemus was the older brother to the Jewish historian Josephus. Nicodemus had the brains. I mean, he had PhDs from Harvard, Yale, and Princeton. I mean, he was really smart. He was a Pharisee, which means that he was part of an elite group of scholars that were religious zealots that committed that their entire life they would follow the Mosaic law. And not just that, but Jesus refers to, it's not necessarily noticeable in the New Living Translation, but it is in the New International Version, in the King James Version. Jesus refers to Nicodemus as the teacher of Israel. What does that mean? It means that Nicodemus was actually had studied under Gamaliel, who was the first century leading scholar of Israel. By the way, somebody we all know and love studied under Gamaliel as well. Who is it? 
the Apostle Paul, which is to say Nicodemus and the Apostle Paul would have crossed paths. Nicodemus wasn't just a student of Gamaliel. He was actually known as the teacher of teachers, which is to say that he was a professor. That he didn't teach students, he taught the teachers of the students. He taught the professors. When you had a spiritual problem, you went to Professor Nicodemus because he knew the Old Testament frontwards and backwards. He knew the Mosaic Law. There wasn't any answer that he couldn't give that came out of the Mosaic Law. And yet we find Nicodemus with a stirring in his heart. And for all of his religious background, for all of his brains and bucks and heritage, there's something missing inside of him when it came to his relationship with God. Something wasn't quite right. It's this this itch that you just, you can't scratch it enough and it just keeps coming back. And so he shows up and talks to Jesus late at night. Now, maybe he came to Jesus late at night because Jesus was so popular He was so well-known at this point that you couldn't actually get an audience with Jesus during the day, so maybe Jesus just figured out that, okay, it's better to go see Jesus at night. Or maybe Nicodemus was thinking, I've got a reputation to maintain and to guard. I don't necessarily want to be seen with Jesus publicly, so I'm going to go late at night. Nobody knows. Why did Nicodemus go to Jesus? Because there was something about Jesus that was fresh, that was life-giving. He said it, Nicodemus. You, you do things that nobody else has ever done. You say things that nobody else has ever said. I'm, I'm attracted to, 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 to you, and you're different. And so he just begins this conversation with Jesus, and then Jesus hijacks it and says, if you want to be going, you know, part of the kingdom of God, you must be born again. And that must have blown Nicodemus's mind because he's an old man by now. And this idea of being born again is just confusing. Is the idea of being born again confusing to you? For those of you who have walked with Jesus for years, if you can explain what happened to you when you were born again, you should write a book and I'll read it. Because there's a fair amount of mystery to it. I don't know. Was I saved at 5? Was I saved at 12? Or was I saved at one of the 20 times that I gave my life to Christ? I don't know. I just know I am now. Everybody's experience is unique and different, and yet there is a similar theme that runs through it. So Jesus said to Nicodemus that evening as the teacher humbles himself to learn from a simple rabbi, which should tell you something. We have this mindset and stereotype that all Pharisees were hypocrites and arrogant. And yet we find this Pharisee not hypocritical, not arrogant, with an open heart that says, Speak, Lord. I'm missing something. Maybe he can help me out. Jesus said to Nicodemus that night three things about what it means to be born again. The first is to experience in deep internal change is what it means to be born again. To experience a deep inward change. I assure you no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the Spirit. So what Jesus is saying to Nicodemus, and he says to us, is that there's two kinds of birth in life. There's a physical birth and there's a spiritual birth. The physical birth is of water. Ladies, whenever you had a, before you went into labor, what happened? Your water broke. And Jesus is paralleling the physical birth to a spiritual birth, and he's using this metaphor saying just what happens in physical birth is exactly what happens in spiritual birth. Now, for some of you ladies, physical birth, labor, it's called that for a reason, was pretty long and exhausting. 
Maybe some of you ladies were in labor for 12 hours or 16 hours or 24 hours. Maybe you had to have lots of medication because the pain was so great. Like labor being very dramatic, some people have stories of being born again, of experiencing an internal change that have dramatic circumstances around it. Some of you in this room hit bottom. And it was pretty dramatic when you gave your life to Christ. Maybe you gave your life to Christ at an altar. Maybe people were gathered around you. Maybe you had a great deal of emotion attached to when you gave your life to Christ. Maybe you got up and you were like, wow, I feel great. Maybe God delivered you from a drug addiction or an alcohol addiction or a pornography addiction. I mean, it was just like that. It was pretty dramatic. On the other hand, not every woman, don't hit me, ladies, not every woman experiences that kind of dramatic pregnancy. You know, there are some parts of the world where ladies have babies in the morning and they're out in the fields in the afternoon working. I mean, it's still labor. It still involves some sort of pain, but it's not the excruciating beyond off-the-wall pain. It's manageable. Likewise, Jesus is saying that not every spiritual birth is really dramatic. Sometimes you have great feelings. Sometimes, um, did it take? Why is that? It's because the Holy Spirit is like the wind. And you can feel the effects of the wind, but you don't know where the wind is coming from. Which is to say, you should never compare your internal change with somebody else's internal change because God works mysteriously and he works differently in every person's life. What matters is you've experienced an internal change. Some people can look back on a date, a specific time, and say this is when it happened. Other people look back and go, "Mm, not so much. I was somewhere when I was a kid, or somewhere in my 20s. I don't even know what what happened, but I just knew I was a follower of Jesus. I don't think you should sweat that. I don't think you should worry about that. What you should be concerned about is the second thing of what it means to be born again. And that is, you are growing by becoming more like Jesus. Humans can produce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. Following the birth metaphor, the greatest indicator that you are born again is that you're growing. Babies grow into children, children grow into teens, teens grow into adults. If babies don't grow into children, teens, and adults, something is wrong. So how do you know if you're growing as a follower of Jesus? This week I read an article by um, Relevant Magazine. I love Relevant Magazine. It's one of these hip Christian magazines for people in their 20s and 30s, like me. (laughs) And they had an article about how do you know if you're growing spiritually. And I went, that's perfect. So I'm going to read to you the 10 things that this magazine article says about you know you're growing spiritually When? And so here's what I'd like for you to consider doing. Get out a piece of paper, just write one to ten. One is, not so much. Two is, no, I think I'm really growing in this area. You ready? You don't need to remember all the questions or write them down. Just rank yourself, one to ten. You ready? Here we go. How do you know if you're growing spiritually as a follower of Jesus? Number one, you're learning more about God. When you love someone, you get to know them better. Imagine being married and not knowing the basics of your spouse. If you love God, you'll learn more about God. Do you know more about God's nature than what you did last year? Do you know more about how God works in the world and in your life? Do you know more about the characteristics of God? than what you did last year, 1 to 10. Second, you know you're growing when you're digging into deeper theology. I think this is brilliant, this one. Just as a child's diet changes as they grow, so a growing Christian's diet changes. As you grow up in Jesus, 
you become less focused on issues of salvation and more focused on issues of sanctification. What is sanctification? Sanctification is the inward change, the growing in a holy lifestyle. What what this article is saying is, is that you know you're growing as a Christian when you're leaving the ABCs of the gospel and you're starting to eat meat. You're, you're starting to think about your language. You're starting to think about your attitude. You're starting to think about your habit patterns. You're starting to think about the things that you watch on Netflix or Amazon. You're starting to think about the ways that you relate to your family members. And you're going deeper because you've left the basics of salvation and now you're picking up the deeper meat theology of sanctification. Three, you're not waiting on others to feed you. Too many Christians want a pastor or leader to spoon-feed them. That's not enough for growing Christians. They are learning to feed themselves. They don't rely on Sunday to feed them because Sunday is dessert. Monday through Saturday is the main course. One to ten. Are you relying on me to teach you? You're in trouble. I've got 35 to 40 minutes a week. If you're relying on me, you're in trouble. Learn to feed yourself and treat Sundays as cake and ice cream. Monday through Saturday, fruit, vegetables, meat, potatoes. Sunday is dessert. 1 to 10. Number four, you're leading and teaching others. If you want to know something, teach it. We think that we can't teach it until we know something. Not so much. If you really want to grow, start teaching it, because it will force you to learn it. The biblical expectation is that all of us should be teaching others about Jesus. This does not mean that you stand on a platform, behind a pulpit, or in a class. But all of us are teachers to those in our sphere of influence. Five, you're growing in grace. Our lives should be characterized by grace. Our default response should not be anger or bitterness, but forgiveness and grace, even when people don't deserve it. it. That's why it's called grace. One to ten. Number six, you find yourself wanting to obey God. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. A growing Christian is a person who is growing in obedience and faithfulness to the commands of Jesus. Not because they have to, but because they want to. They have found that the commands of Jesus are a delight not a burden. They have found that when they obey Jesus, their life is sweeter, not more bitter. One to ten. Number seven, your character is growing to be more like Jesus. Galatians 5, 22 and 23 lists the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. We are all different in our growth, and some fruit grows faster in others. And some fruit has different expressions in other people's lives. But still, this fruit should be visible, not just to yourself, but to the people around you. Are you growing to be more like Jesus in the fruit of the Spirit? Number eight. You're less concerned about personal preferences and more concerned about unity. Paul said in Ephesians 4, 13 through 15, that the unity of the faith and the knowledge of Jesus are measures of the fullness of Christ. Your head knowledge and heart knowledge of Jesus and your desire to live in unity and promote unity within the community, those are the measures of mature Christians. 
It is not wrong to have personal preferences, but it is immature to expect or demand that your personal preferences should be honored above other people's personal preferences. One to ten. Number nine, you know you're growing spiritually when you're willing to speak the truth in love. Paul teaches in Ephesians 4, 15 and 16 that we are literally to speak the truth in love and to grow in Christ, which makes the whole body grow in love. Now this flies in the face of our culture who is obsessed with not offending anyone. It does not mean that we have to bang people over the head. It does not mean that we have to draw a clear line that says, I'm right, you're wrong. It does mean that lovingly and with humility, we speak the truth to other Christians, people within your home, other brothers and sisters, and when you see someone that is clearly heading off in a wrong direction, you need to lovingly restore them and say, have you thought of this? Have you considered the actions of that? We are so afraid of offending because we're immature. Lastly, you know you're a growing Christian when you're engaged in community. In a culture moving further and further away from regular church involvement, the Bible teaches that growing mature Christians will continually and consistently meet together. We are created to do the Christian life in community. You cannot do the Christian life in isolation. So, how did you do? Are you able to see demonstrable growth? Now, here's the point that Jesus is making. You ready for this? If you don't see growth, you need to go back to number one and ask yourself the question, have I actually had a deep inward change? Because people who have a deep inward change desire to grow as a Christian and are actually growing. If you're not growing as a Christian, you have to go back and say, i got to do it over again. I missed something the first time. I'm not experiencing what I think I'm supposed to be experiencing. Number three. Okay, number one is you experience a deep inward change. Number two is, you're growing as a Christian. Number three is, to be born again means that you've placed your life in Jesus Christ. you placed your trust in Jesus Christ to bring about this inward change. Verses 14 and 15. And as Moses lifted up the bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. You cannot bring about this internal change on your own. It's a gift from God. Now, Jesus reminds Nicodemus of something that's totally obscure to you and me. Remember, Nicodemus is the teacher's teacher, which means he knows the Old Testament backwards and forwards. He knows the story of Numbers chapter 21, which many of us do not know, and that is the story of the Israelites rebelling against Moses once again and the Lord sending poisonous snakes into the camp and people are being bitten and people are dying because of this. It's a judgment of God thing. You know, it's literally the Old Testament wrath of God thing, right? And... The Lord says to Moses that the remedy for people who have been bitten by the snakes is that I want you to take a, make a bronze snake and I want you to stick it up on a pole and everybody who looks at that bronze snake will live. How bizarre is that? Think about this. The punishment for the sin was a snake. And the remedy for the sin was a snake. And what Jesus is saying to Nicodemus is, one day I'm going to be lifted up. 
and everybody who looks at me, I will have taken on their punishment for their sin. Just like the snake. And if you will look up at me, and it's not just a glance, if you will make my death, my shed blood, if you will look at me and believe and look to me for that internal change, that will happen. Now, if you're in the Old Testament and you get bitten by a snake and you're there like, oh man, my leg is blown up, this is awful, I think I'm going to die, that guy over there, Bob, he died, and, and Susan, she's dying, and oh, I don't... oh, wait a minute, all I have to do is look up at a bronze snake? That's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. All I have to do is, and I'll live? That's so stupid, I'm not even going to do it. Hey, let me tell you, there's a lot of people that overcomplicate salvation. You mean all I have to do is say a prayer? All I have to do is invite Jesus in my life? No, there's got to be more than that. It's got to be more complicated than that. Don't overcomplicate it. One last thing. Jesus is explaining to Nicodemus, which he got that illustration about the snake. Jesus is explaining to Nicodemus, like, what what is the born-again life looks like? It's a deep internal change. You're growing as a Christian, and you're looking to Jesus for this deep internal change. The question is, though, how does that happen? Like, how, how do I actually get to be born again? Which brings us to John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Jesus said to Nicodemus, you got to do three things. First of all, you have to accept God's love by believing in me, and accepting my death on the cross, that's coming, as full payment for your sins. Hey, Nicodemus, you're a religious man. Religion isn't going to do it for you. Catechism's not going to do it. Being baptized isn't going to do it for you. Some ritual is not going to bring salvation to you. That, that stirring in your heart that says, I know I'm not connected to God, but I've spent my whole life trying to figure out how to be connected to God. Um... Do you know that God loves you? It must have blown Nicodemus' mind to hear Jesus say, everybody. For God so loved the world. That's everybody, right? Because in Nicodemus' world, the only people who could be saved were the Jewish people. And Jesus just opened up the whole door and said, no, no, everybody can experience this salvation. So God loves you. God loves everything about you because he made you. And that's why Jesus went to the cross and died on the cross. Now, you may think that you've sinned so much that God could never forgive you. On the other hand, you may think that you're a pretty decent guy or lady and you actually don't need salvation because, you know, you haven't done anything really bad. This is where we need to go back to Nicodemus. Nicodemus was the best of the best. I mean, he was the most righteous of the righteous. And if Nicodemus couldn't get into heaven because of his righteousness, we don't have a chance. Somehow this gives me real hope because good people don't go to heaven. Only people who know Jesus and have experienced internal change go to heaven. And... You experience this internal change by accepting Jesus' death on the cross and believing in him. Second, the way that you are born again is by repenting and renouncing all sin. See that phrase, will not perish? Well, why are we perishing? It's because we're infected with sin. 
Some years ago, I was in the city, and I was visiting an old dairy that was being converted into a ministry center. And I was touring that facility to look at the progress of it. And I don't remember it, but it must have happened. I picked up a sliver, a piece of wood. And it was right here on my index finger, though I couldn't find it. But within a couple hours of being in that dairy, my, my finger got all red and puffy. And it was on a Wednesday afternoon that that happened, so I went directly from that event, and I went right to church because we were holding Wednesday night programming. And by the end of Wednesday night, about 8.15, 8.30, my, my hand was red and all puffy. And I looked at it and thought, man, that's weird. It'll probably go away by the morning. So I was going to go home. And somebody stopped me and said, hey, you should get that looked at. And I said, no, it'll be fine. And they said, no, no, seriously, you should probably, what do you do? Just go to the ER and just have them take a look at it. I said, okay. So I went to the ER, they took a look at it, and they hooked me up to, you know, antibiotic drugs. And so I'm just laying there in the waiting room. I actually remember telling Holly, don't come to visit me. I'll be home in a couple hours. No big deal. So a couple hours later, the bag drains. I'm like, where's the nurse? You know, patch me up, I'm out. And the nurse walks in and says, oh, no, you're not leaving. We're admitting you. And I said, you are not admitting me. Just give me some pills and send me home. And so she graciously leaves the room. The doctor comes in and says, what's the problem? And I said, I mean, I don't have time for this. I, I, I have to go. I mean, you gave me the antibiotics. I get it. And can you give me some pills? And the doctor said this. He said, look at this infection right here, that's going to travel to here. And if we don't do something really quick in the next several hours, you're going to get very sick. And you could possibly die. I said, where's my hospital room? Right? I got the message. Now, here's the point. We're all infected with sin. And we look at things and go, oh, that's no big deal. We rationalize them away. We justify, hey, everybody's got something in their life, right? You don't know your sin is killing you if left untreated. And the only antidote there is is the blood of Jesus Christ, which is stronger than any possible antibiotic in the world. We're perishing. You may live to be 98 years old. You may live a great life. You're still perishing. You may be the best good without God person in the world. You're still perishing. Because good people don't go to heaven. People who know Jesus go to heaven. That's why he died on the cross. Three. Receive his new life inside of you. You know, sometimes the hardest thing to do is to just simply receive. Not to work for it, just go, okay, I accept it. Being born again is not an insurance plan for eternal life when you die. It's an experience we, we enjoy right now. Eternal life is available right now. It is God's spirit bubbling up inside of you. Remember when I got up from the altar when I was 12 years old? I just felt different on the inside. I mean, I just knew I felt clean. I didn't even know I felt dirty before, right? But I just felt clean. Now, I'm not trying to take that experience and say it has to be exactly like mine. I don't know if I was saved at 5. I don't know if I was saved at 12. I don't know if I was saved the other 20 times I gave my life to Jesus. But I do know this. I have received and accepted eternal life and that eternal life lives inside of me right now and it lives inside many of you when you go to do something that you know you shouldn't do there's a course correction inside of you it's the holy spirit going come back here that's a grace gift of god now as i've been talking today 
some of you are probably thinking a couple things. One is, some of you have been following Jesus for decades. You can look back on a time and say, yeah, I, I was born again at a kid's camp too. Or I remember going to the altar. Or I remember kneeling by the side of my bed after watching a television program. I, and, hey, that's great. This has been a great reconnection for you about a beautiful moment of life change. Some of you have been thinking, I, I don't see much fruit in my life. I'm pretty much the same as I was five years ago when I gave my life to Christ. You should reconsider. Do you know that there are studies that are being done in the church, um, I mean the Big C Church? There's lots of studies that are being done that are actually asking the question, because the church in America is so unhealthy, that people are asking the question, are people actually saved in church who go to church every Sunday? And you know what some studies are showing? Half of people that show up in church every Sunday don't even have a relationship with Jesus. They're not even born again. The really scary thing is, is that some people think because they've said a certain prayer, they must be born again, and they've never experienced that internal change, and they just go on actually never really experiencing that internal change. I'm not trying to talk you out of anything, nor am I trying to talk you into anything. But you should ask yourself this question. If I'm born again, am I seeing the fruit of that internal change? If you're not seeing the fruit of your internal change, and things are pretty much the same as what they were two, three, four, five, six years ago, you should probably go back to number one and seek Jesus for an internal change. Maybe you missed something along the way. Can I say that without sounding judgmental? Third, I think that there's people that are searching for God in this room, and you're trying to figure it out. And, you know, maybe it's baptism. Maybe it's catechism. Maybe it's going through Starting Point Church. Maybe it's just coming to a new church. Maybe something will light up inside of me, you know, that I'm going to this church. What I'm saying to you is this. No church saves you. No ritual saves you. Being born again is a simple invitation to invite Jesus into your life, accepting his death and resurrection on the cross, and trusting him for that internal change, whether it's dramatic or not so much. I don't think it really matters, to be honest with you. It depends on your temperament and personality. So here's how I would like to end our time together. I have a card for you, and on this card are these words. It's a prayer to be born again. Dear Jesus, I am asking to be born again. I want to experience an internal change of my heart to know my sins are forgiven. I repent of my sins. I believe in you, and I put my trust in you. I accept all of this as a gift from my loving Heavenly Father. I receive this new life right now. Thank you. So here's my, my challenge. If something is stirring inside of your heart, your heart is beating fast, there's something inside of you that you actually can't even explain because it's not really an emotion. It's something deeper than an emotion but there's this internal thing inside of you that says, I need to be born again. I'm going to ask you in just a moment to get up, come to the altar, pick one of these up, and go back to your seats. But sometimes we just need to have somebody pray over us to help us receive new life in Jesus. So I've asked a couple couples if they'll just one will go to this, one couple will go to that side, one couple will go to this side, one couple is going to be in the back. Just get up right now. If I've asked you, call, I, I texted you last night, just get up and come. If, if after picking up a card, you want to have somebody pray over you, then you just go to one of these corners and they'll just be there to pray over you. If you want to talk to a lady, well, the man will step aside. If you want to talk to just the man, the lady will step aside if you just want somebody to pray over you. So would you stand, please?
If you desire to be born again today, and you sense this internal conversation going on, this is your moment. Just come up right now. I'll wait like 60 seconds, and then I'll close the service out. Just come up and receive a card right now. And it's your way of saying, today I'm trusting Christ to be born again. Old school preachers at moments like this would usually say something like this. Now everybody's come forward, but I know that there's one or two people who should have come forward and didn't. I don't even know why I had that thought this morning. I'm just throwing it out there. Jesus is calling you to a blessing. You should be running to receive new life. Don't let your pride, don't let your confusion, you mean just saying this prayer is like some magic? Hey, it's between you and the Lord. The Lord will honor your heart. Let's bow our heads together. Jesus, we are blown away at your sacrifice for us. I mean, you had everything in heaven. You didn't need to come. And Heavenly Father, we're blown away at your love for us. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son. We we can't even comprehend that kind of love. But we do accept it. And for brothers and sisters who are here today who just know that you have stirred their heart to say, I need to be born again. Thank you for calling people to a beautiful life. I pray blessings on everyone who has come forward. I pray, God, that that seed that has begun within them would blossom into maturity and full life. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Would you like to express your joy at people who have come forward to receive Christ? Congratulations. God bless you. Have a great day.